talking about Pride 2022, and I think the theme of Pride 2022 is courage. Or ask Welga, Aoife. Uh, Mishnah? No, that's hope. Courage is Mishnah, isn't it? Bro, this is the Irish for pride. Yeah. I know I'm not a Gael girl, but I know it's written across the website. Yeah, it is actually. I'm trying to visualize it. <laughs> Sorry, I'm, I'm sitting here going, Ninarka Curla Kayla, but that's, we all go together, isn't it? Isn't it? Uh, we're stronger together. Stronger together, yeah. yeah. All very relevant. Yeah. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. We should have written the slogan for this. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so I'm joined by Amy Walsh, practicing criminal barrister, Shauna Sullivan, practicing civil barrister, and uh, representative of the bar on, on Outlaw, and Ethan McNichol, a criminal practitioner as well. There's two criminal practitioners in the one room. I'm worried. Um, and also the chair of the Equality and Resilience Committee here at the Bar of Ireland. We, to date, we. The bar has made kind of tentative steps in terms of being more visible and being more, I suppose, confident around our members' various identities. And one of them is LGBTQ um, and I. Um, and heretofore, we've kind of relied on written placards, which are safe. So hopefully today represents, I suppose, another progress in terms of more active and more visible and, I suppose, a more dynamic representation of, of our members. Um, but maybe just to kind of settle you all, because you're also giddy from your holidays. Eva, how did you come to practice criminal law? So I um, was going to be an engineer, actually, uh, and I did a mock trial competition in transition year and got the bug really bad when I was an advocate in that competition um, and it was a criminal law um, mock trial and um, this wee school from Northwest Donegal uh, called Pubble Skull Cleinhila. Uh, uh, <laughs> uh We ended up winning it so of course I definitely got the double bug then because we won um, because you know um, my family might say that I'm competitive. Um, so from that I said I'm going to be a criminal barrister and here we are. But yeah, I went to UCD, I did uh, business and law there and went straight to the inns. I did take a year out after the inns and then started practicing in 2009. Oh, very good. Mm -hmm. That's going well. Going great. Good. Mighty. <laughs> that was almost defensive. <laughs> <laughs> um, Shauna Sullivan, were you running around Castle Bar screaming, Shauna Sullivan BL, Shauna Sullivan BL, that's what I will be? Yes, actually I was. <laughs> uh, from, I, I'm still in nappies. Um, <laughs> My mother would certainly claim that's what it was. Uh, and uh, my natural argumentative streak came through and went, sure, what else was he going to be? Um, my aunt uh, was a barrister uh, for a time. And so that kind of showed me where it might, might go. And uh, I, like Aoife, uh, went to UCD. I jumped to uh, straight law. I didn't have time for business, obviously, as it turns out. <laughs> Uh, and, and you weren't we were, missing we, anything, Sean. <laughs> <laughs> we were in the same year in the Inns. Uh, we came, down oh, right, we okay. came through in 2008 and I took uh, three years out. I went off to the States and did a little bit of work and stuff and uh, then started practice in 2011. And I'm still here, which is a success in and of itself. <laughs> a decade at the bar. A decade at the bar. Mm -hmm. And it's and etched on my face as well. <laughs> Amy, another criminal practitioner, what was your own motivations in terms of pursuing a career? Uh, well, I made none of the sensible career choices that either of you made. I decided to defer getting a real job for as long as possible. And I started with English and history. <laughs> and then I did an LLM and critical theory, which an employer once assured me once is a mistake, but twice is a life choice. <laughs> um, and then I did, I worked in Arthur Cox for 
good few years, maybe four years, worked in some other commercial firms, uh, did another LLM and then eventually came down to the bar uh, about two years ago. So this is the end of my second year dabbling in crime. Um, and it's, it's funny actually that you mentioned the the UCD aspect of it. I remember seeing a sign years and years ago, maybe like, I don't want to give any numbers to show my age, but um, it was like, a debate so an LGBT plus debate and it was sponsored by Earth Cox it was such a small thing but you saw it and I automatically aligned that firm with that agenda in my head and I ended up working for them very happily for a long time um it just kind of shows the importance of those yeah those things you come across as you go on I guess those interventions mm. actually I might just flip because one of the questions I have is I suppose what would you tell a student who's considering a career at the bar today and I, I think we can all concede that the bar needs to do better work in terms of university outreach but in terms of how you've experienced the bar in, the, in these last two years how would you what would you tell what would you tell a student similar to yourself back in university I think I think almost when you're out and you're in university like you're looking for flags like you're looking for people and you're looking for organizations that you can tap into and I think it's really good for those organizations to, to raise those flags that you can touch on. Um, but I think just go for it, you know, and be out and be yourself and be as positive as you can about it. And you'll find your people then as you go along. Mm. Um, but yeah, for me, seeing that poster was like literally very directive. As you say, it was, you know, it's motivational. It was a direction to follow and it did. It's 2022, Sean, you're doing work with, with Outlaw in terms of promoting the legal sector as a, as a as a as a welcome house for for people with LGBTQ identities. How would you rate the bar in terms of a welcoming workplace? Well, the bar is entirely unique because you come here, you work for yourself. You're not dependent on or beholden to any one particular person. So it's entirely up to each person how much they bring themselves to work and how much they share themselves within work. Now, one of the things we face is that we still need to get the work from solicitors. And so a lot of the firms you've described, I mean, there's representation in the firms. And Outlaw is trying at least to bring the LGBT plus Irish legal sector, lawyers and support staff together to create that community across uh, the entire country, but particularly across the entire legal sector. And so that's one of the things that like, we would encourage all barristers or even prospective barristers. We have a student committee now across all of the universities, the law site in King's Inns. We encourage everybody to get involved in Outlaw because it gives you that sense of community before you cross the threshold to the bar. But the bar is an incredible place because you can be your work entirely yourself. And um, one of our uh, now retired colleagues um, came down to the bar and he was an openly gay man in the 80s and he had found himself unwanted in law firms and he came down here and found himself entirely and openly accepted by all of his colleagues and embraced um, for his full personality uh, which was a very full personality <laughs> um, but even at that early stage he was encouraged and allowed to be himself here and again part of that is because we don't have to be responsible for that, whatever the consequences of him being himself is. But actually now you will find yourself being embraced and trusted by your colleagues more at the bar, the more of yourself you show. So I think it is actually a huge benefit and something that you directly benefit from here if you bring yourself uh, to the bar. It's just to pick up on something Sean said there, I think it's um, 
it's really key for anyone coming down to the bar to be yourself because I've seen um over the years um that people struggle when they're nearly putting on a persona that they think they have to put on to be successful at the bar you know to you know if you're a woman that you have to act in a certain way if you're especially if you're practicing on criminal law in order to get on and for solicitors to brief you and so on but in fact it's the opposite like the more you're yourself I mean like I am um longer now living out of Donegal than I was living in Donegal I've never once lost my accent and I won't either and like I suppose that that's part of my identity and it's a huge part of who I am and like if I had lost that I would have struggled I think to fit in at the bar ironically I think the more you're yourself the more you fit in at the bar the more individual you are the more you fit in and we've all been in situations where you're adopting the persona that you think Mm -hmm. should be adopted and it's actually exhausting yeah yeah and it pulls away from your actual you know your uniqueness because you're actually more worried about what that person's and they're invariably they're not thankfully and people around you pick up on that yeah you know when when you're not comfortable and and being yourself so I suppose um but I mean, a lot of people choose to come down to the bar and not, you know, they're they're private. They're not, it's not, we they're just, holding back. We were actually just saying the same before the start of the yeah. rounds. Like, it's about choice. It, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, if, I mean, and if you are a private person, you can keep to yourself. Exactly. There's no obligation on you to to share yourself. And like, for example, it, perhaps in some firms, I, I mean, I, I don't know if this happens, but like, you'd be going, well, what are you doing? You're getting involved in this and you're getting involved in that. And somebody might find out you remember the LGBT plus community. Oh, you have to come to this and you have to come to that. And you're like... No, I, I keep my private life very private. And again, like you can share as much or little of yourself at the bar as you want. And you can share it as widely or as closely as you want as well. And it's 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 a matter of choice for everybody who's here. I think it's it's about organizational open openness that we manifest a, an agenda that people feel they can come out and that there's like visibility and representation and that it's open to them. Like that's I think so important that young people coming into the bar especially feel that there's somewhere for them to fit in. And then, as you say, they can remain private if they wish, but they have the option. And they feel it's it's acceptable and it's normal, it's happy. It's exactly, but it's exactly what, like you said, that Arthur Cox event, that Arthur Cox sponsored event meant to you, oh, they, that's representation, that's a welcoming environment. They would be somewhere where I could go and maybe just be, I don't have to be open, I don't have to be out, I can just be mm-hmm. and not worried about if I come out or if I say something, that would be fine. I think that one of the steps for the bar is to be that place where you can go and be whoever you are, again, as closely or as widely as you want and not be worried about, oh, if I slip up or I do this or, or I don't do enough, that you can find yourself there, whatever that may be. And the parenthesis is wide. It's not just LGBTQ. It's, you know, it's neurodiversity. It's people with Donegal accents. You know, but <laughs> it literally is the entire range of human, I suppose, richness. Mm-hmm. Well, isn't that the key, really? I mean, it's um, the diversity that makes it. And, um, you know, obviously the bar has a rep over the years that it's a certain background that comes to the bar. And that certainly may have been the case. Um, but I certainly feel in my time at the bar, and I don't know how, how you feel, but that that it has broadened hugely, you know, and certainly I think we're in a bit of a bubble in the CCJ uh, in that it is, um, I think, naturally more diverse anyway. 
um and but I think it it is it has changed over the last ten years in particular um but I suppose it's it's um I suppose moving beyond you know being more welcoming to women coming to the bar being more welcoming to LGBT it's I suppose we we really need to I suppose think less about what boxes we're ticking and just be open (laughs) to whatever um, identities want to come down to the bar. Did someone just mention Equality Action Plan? Yeah. <laughs> did I? Did I hear yeah. someone well, mention that? Funny oh. you should say that, Cormac. <laughs> I'm holding it right here. <laughs> so you just touched on, I suppose, what you've described maybe how the, the, the culture of the bar has, has moved along in the last number of years since you've been down. Mm-hmm. Do you want to talk just about the EAP in terms of how it looks to put in place, I suppose, the structural piece and, and really to kind of improve on the culture at the bar? Yeah, like the Equality Action Plan is something that's been in the making for quite a number of years. It all started from, um, I suppose, the work that began on the women's working group seven years ago, um, which led to the first kind of committee looking at EDI. And then over the last two years or two to three years, um, this Equality Action Plan has been, I suppose, carefully put together. And um, the, the ultimate goal is really just create a truly diverse and um, equal bar that people looking outside into the bar would say, that is a place that I can go. That is a place where I um, would be welcome and that I would have a good chance at making it at the bar. Because like, can you imagine the amount of people who have the natural attributes and skills to be excellent barristers, but because of their ethnicity or um, because they're not comfortable coming out or, you know, be, be, for whatever reason. Yeah, they self-exclude and they just say, that's not for me. That's um, that's for other t- other people. And it's really just, I suppose, um, to show both our members and, um, you know, people who are in university right now um, that we are working towards diversity in all its glory. Um, we're not there yet. We certainly aren't. I don't think anywhere can say that they're there yet. But, you know, one of our objectives is really um, to to do exactly what we're doing here. It's, it's having conversations about uh, diversity and inclusion and, you know, how we can um, put that into practice at the bar. Amy, Sean, from your respective, I suppose, paths, what is it that law firms are doing that maybe the bar could emulate or adopt? Um, I think, I mean, my favorite thing that we did in the firms was always coffee mornings. And that's something that's taken from UCD. Um, It's unbelievably simple concept. You have tea and coffee at nine o'clock on a Thursday um, and you just have a chat. And that it's such a straightforward thing. Um, We did that in UCD, like the LGBTQ plus society hosted them. And then we took them on various more, you know, elaborate guises and Arthur Cox. I think we minced pies once and we did wine and cheese one evening and that type of thing. Um, we put a glass on it, but you know, it's just networking. It's it's visibility, it's a conversation. And we're so reliant, I think as colleagues at the bar um, on one another and one another's expertise, particularly when you're like me at the very bottom of the tree. So it, it gives you visibility and you see other people, um, people you might rely on, people you might talk to. Um, and as remarkably simple as that is, I think that's always been my favorite way to, to do things. I don't know what Sean thinks. Yeah, it's interesting actually uh, listening to what Aoife was saying, like we often tout you know, the independent referral bar as being very important. Um, 
But we forget, of course, that we are actually in competition with all of the law firms for graduates, for the next generation of that grand independent referral bar that we were all so proud of. And I don't think we spend perhaps enough time saying to them, look, you will find yourself as well here as you will anywhere else and as well represented and as well welcomed as anywhere else. And so I think that's something that we perhaps have to be more acutely aware of. And one of the things we started doing, you know, for the new entrants uh, is the orientation week, making them feel comfortable. And that's very good and promoting that. And maybe and we discussed before having an outlaw stand at that. And unfortunately, that was interrupted by COVID and everything else. So planning for those kind of things. Um, and so maybe doing more, say, college student awareness, even say, you know, this is, and do an act, more active outreach program. I mean, we have amazing programs here, like the Denham Fellowship, now like the Morris Gaffney uh, Bursary Prize as well, for disadvantaged students to come through the system. And that's another area that I suppose the perception is are underrepresented at the bar. So leaving aside kind of the, the classic 14 um, discrimination categories, if you will, those more economically or socially uh, disadvantaged often have been perceived as having no shot at the bar. And so things like that are very important to drive our own diversity um, as much as across the other categories. So we have to be more mindful of it, but we have to remember we are different. We're not a firm. We're not a kind of a top down. This is what we're doing now. We're a collective um, and bringing everybody with you and doing different things. I mean, we're talking about coffee mornings. If you, you know, established, I mean, the Irish Women Lawyers Association is a fantastic example of this. They have events every six weeks, two months. They set up a mentorship program um, and they have their annual dinner. I mean, it's, it, it is really designed to empower your colleagues uh, within your group. And I suppose, I think that's a model that the bar could follow if we wanted to expand, let's say, a diverse bar association, whoever it might be, to try to get those of us at the bar who are interested in driving diversity to have those coffee mornings, to literally meet your colleagues who are interested in, you know, ensuring the work is more evenly spread or whatever it is, or making sure the work reaches people from the protected categories or from people who are less socioeconomically uh, advantaged than the traditional draw of the bar. Things like that. I mean, I think that's not an answer, but it's start. the start, you know. We are, we're, there is some work being done on, in university outreach. And one of the, I suppose, things that's percolating to the top is the idea of an ambassador or a cadre of, of ambassadors that, again, would maybe be tied to each university. But the challenge is to try to get members of the bar to be visible ambassadors for a particular, you know, characteristic or a particular section of society. So that's something that we, all, I suppose, that we need to which work better at in terms of activating and incentivizing people to, to get involved. And part of that is understanding what the output is and what the outcome uh, of that initiative is. But I think, uh, sorry, no, uh, sorry in, in, in that, and again, this is me promoting the Outlaw events for Pride. Uh, shameless. Uh, shameless. Shameless. <laughs> shameless, absolutely. And I'd like my Outlaw colleagues to note that I did that. <laughs> But on, so on the 28th of June, Matheson are hosting an event on intersectionality, which is designed to talk about how we can all work together and for each other to everybody's benefit in the community. And so when we talk about, uh, say, outreach, whatever it might be, 
Uh, so my other my co-chair in uh, Outlaws, Barbara Galvin, she's an ally to the LGBT plus community. And so it's not limited to, say, women talking about women's issues, gays talking about gays' issues, people with disabilities talking about disability issues and accessibility issues. All of us have to be concerned about a level playing field more generally. Um, and it just means coming to it with compassion for what you don't understand and a willingness to talk about what you do. And I, I think you'll find a reception for that almost everywhere. And so rather than saying oh, we're doing LGBT outreach to universities, we're doing we're, we're, we're making an effort to show that the bar is a place where intersectionality thrives. We're all working for each other within the organization, even though it's not an employment context, it's nothing like that. But it is a place where we are all looking out for each other to make sure that we have the best of society amongst us insofar as we can get it. That's, I suppose, it's the, the changing culture at the bar. Like the more that we're having um, conversations about um, LGBT or um, disabilities or, um, you know, race at the bar, the more members who identify um, with those backgrounds, the more they will want to get involved and will want to step um, forward and maybe get involved with, you know, as an ambassador, for example, because it's very hard to be that one person, um, you know, who is identifying in a particular group or, you know, the, the sole five people who are identifying as a particular group. And until, um, you know, there's a comfort level at the bar, I suppose, with these conversations that we've started having over the last two years that um, I've been chairing this committee. Um, you know, I think the more that we have that comfort level, the more people will want to be those ambassadors because it is it's a big ask, um, you know, to to take on that extra role, I suppose, because building a, a career at the bar is hard enough without also getting involved with, I suppose, bettering the bar in that way. I think one of the the phrases that was used on the, the recent ethnicity at the bar was being comfortable with the uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. So that's like using the word black because some people might understand, you know, what the context is or, you know, and it's about having confidence to make a mistake as well. Yeah, and like, you know, learning the language and, yeah, and making mistakes and just being curious and asking and, you know, um, not talking about things is what has been heretofore and that is not working you know it's having conversations and asking questions and um you know that's key one of the one of the funniest examples of that i spoke at a, a big conference and i was on a panel uh, about diversity and dame siobhan keegan who's the chief justice of northern Ireland, was on it we were chatting about it. and since then one of my uh, colleagues in shout out i'm on the board of shout out as well one of my colleagues in shout out is it is it a trans woman and said that when she was coming to terms with her sexuality and gender, she went to a conference, put her hand up and said, hi, I was born a man, but I'm a woman. Am I a trans man or a trans woman? Because she didn't know. And if she didn't know, but ask a, you engage with it and you ask a question openly and honestly, nobody is going to say, well, you're insensitive, you're this, you're that. Again, just come to it with ordinary curiosity and compassion and you go, well, this is it. You go, thanks very much. That's better now. You know, because nobody knows everything and you're not expected. You can't be expected to know everything. I suppose the question that comes to mind is because as a gay man myself and I've worked in, in, in working environments that have been largely supportive, but we have to concede that there possibly are people having 
not a great experience at the bar in terms of their their sexual identity or their sexual orientation and other characteristics. But what would you say to anybody, solicitor or barrister, and they're working in an environment that's not conducive or not supportive? Is there any any life experience or any, I suppose, nugget of 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 wisdom that that you could share? Well, what I what I would say is, and it's it's one of the things that is going to be said this pride is say to people don't oh, take care of yourselves and stuff like that and that, that, that that's pre-incident victim shaming it's going you should, it's women being told don't dress too provocatively when you go out at night right so it's being told oh be mindful of yourself actually the thing i would always say to someone is you do particularly the bar you're self-employed there are no employment protections for you always the first two things is your personal physical safety and then your career if you feel, well, I'm not revealing myself to this person, or if it's happened to a colleague of mine, one of their clients started roaring homophobic abuse in the round hall about the judge and the opposing counsel. And that colleague just turned on the heel and walked away, went, there's nothing to be gained from me engaging with the client on this. A, if I try to talk him down, it's actually gonna make the situation worse. And B, I'm not going to change his mind on his either use of language or attitude towards gay people if that is his attitude. There is nothing to be gained in that situation other than putting my personal physical safety or my career at risk. You can actually do nothing. Really, you can do nothing from a hospital bed and you can do nothing when you're unemployed in terms of improving. We talk about allyship. The ideal thing is to get to a situation where you can affect change and then do it. You know, if you find yourself in a situation where you're like, oh God, if I, you know, this person is being really angry about gay people. If you feel that coming out or revealing yourself or pushing back might put you in physical danger, then, I mean, that's a, that's a, a choice you make, but a choice you should really consider. You don't have to, if, even if you're an ally, you don't always have to react in a particular way to something, you know. It's, it's a personal choice, but I would always be mindful of that. Again, we were saying you share as much or as little of yourself at work as you want. I tell, you know, solicitors as much as I want about my personal life, what should I do at the weekend, what should I not do? I tell clients, you know, very little generally. Um, but that's not because I think they'll react in a particular way necessarily. But sometimes it is and going, I don't need to risk that particular conflict with the client or a solicitor. Why would I bother? Yeah, like I completely agree with John that it's always a it's a judgment call, and you you're sometimes asked that you know should I come out to my employer? Should I come out to my parents? And sometimes the advice is no because you've too much to lose professionally, personally, in terms of your safety, in terms of your familial relationships. The answer is that's not always yes, but you'd hope. That as advocates, like you said, courage is the theme of pride. I mean, courage must be the theme of the bar. Like we all stand up day in, day out and, and make, you know, unbelievable applications under unbelievable pressure and circumstances that for some people in their working life might be like the one bad day of the year they have to give a presentation. That's our nine o'clock on a Monday morning. Um, and I think that that courage you'd hope would, you know, instill in allies and instill in, in queer people at the bar that, you know, that senior does say something or... That person does decide, as you said, to be a, a mentor, to stand out or to stand up or to be visible to other people who can see it and be it and say, well, that senior counsel's gay. I can be gay and they have a practice. I can have a practice. Um, but I completely agree that it's not always the right thing 
um, for yourself. And and you don't have an obligation either. You know, you're you're not you're not employed as a, a person to educate other people or to enlighten other people. And there'll be weeks in your life that you don't want to. And the nature of the bar as well, it's so interdynamic and there's no um, organization like I don't know that IFA sits at X spot every day and I don't know the bar in that way. It's it's sort of independent but together. And that means that you're going to come out an awful lot. <laughs> you're going to come out to your colleagues, you're going to come out to your solicitors and you, you spend your life coming out because, you know, it's not Amy's gay, she sits beside the door. It's that you're, you're going to have to move and, and meet people all the time and explain your life and explain your background if that's what you choose to do. And you may not always want to. Um, so I completely agree. And particularly, obviously, if safety is an issue, um, people have to protect themselves. Yeah. But even like for for that colleague, Sean, that you were describing, having to sit there and listen to that diatribe, I mean, like certainly that's something that we have no tolerance for at the bar. There's just no place for that type of language, that type of talk, that type of disrespect. And like that's that was the basis for, um, you know, what we would think is common sense, but that we just wanted to make sure everybody was clear about uh, the dignity at work protocol that we brought in in 2020. I mean, like, you know, nobody should have to be discriminated against for those reasons or bullied for those reasons, um, you know, or harassed. And like, there's just no place for it. And like, I would, would say for members who do experience that from other members, you know, to have a look at the dignity at work protocol, there are um, options there, there are supports there. And, you know, that we're saying very clearly, there's no place for that type of behavior at bar. What role do you think, for example, other, other arms of, of the justice sector have in this debate, be it the court service, be it the Department of Justice, be it, you know, other, I suppose, DBP, CSSO, other, other key players, I, maybe they are active in this area, I don't know. But, uh, as my it's, it's interesting to ask that question. One of the ideas that's been floated for one of our the outlaw events later in the year is an event with the guards talking about hate crime legislation, how to how to report it and where to go specifically and stuff like that to make our members aware if someone comes to them so that we can explain the legal part of it to them, to any friends or anything like that. We invite flack to that and stuff like that. Um, but even I was in an outhouse last week having a coffee and the guards have dropped in hate crime leaflets. Um, and I know I think it's Paul Franey up in Balbriggan is. A, a super with training in diversity and inclusion and he does a lot of sensitivity training and, and specifically around hate crime legislation um, and making the guards I mean there are parallels although it's not as traumatic into the rape reporting regulations that are there you have to make people comfortable coming forward that they will be listened to that, for example, they won't be, you know, ridiculed or dismissed or whatever it is. And it's up to the department, uh, together with the guard, the hierarchy, to put that sort of stuff in place. And so their, their steps, I think, that say things that can practically affect uh, people on the ground, what they will be doing in terms of wider legislation, um, I suppose it's worthy of uh, more examination than I've given it, to be honest. But um, th those practical things, just trying to raise awareness about if you're harassed on the street, if you're you know, called a homophobic term or whatever it might be, then that is a hate crime, uh, a hate crime incident, whether it gives rise to prosecution or not. Because we've seen almost one homophobic attack in Dublin every week, leaving aside the horrific events in Sligo earlier in the year. Um, there are 
young men and women being hospitalized in Dublin almost on a weekly basis. I was speaking to Ashley Norani the other day in Outhouse and he said that there was only a two-week period, that's as long as it's been uh, since Easter, two weeks, they've managed to get 13 days between attacks in Dublin. And we're all horrified of what's happening, obviously mass shootings in the States. But there was a, a young guy on Dame Street uh, eight days ago, wrapped in a plaid frag, who was stabbed several times. And there was no other defining characteristic to him other than the fact he was wearing a pride flag. And the fact that he was stabbed through a pride flag should horrify everybody who would be out on the 25th of June. Well, what's provoking what seems like a spike? You know, I can't recall. Maybe it's been there all the time. Was there underreporting before, do you think? Like, is it, yeah, and, and generations coming up who are expressing themselves, I think, in visibility. Yeah. I think that's a big thing. Because you have, uh, and we were talking about this before, you have a, a happier generation now who are more into and more, I suppose, able and comfortable to express their identities. And that's visible to everyone and, and perhaps in some instances. It provokes a, a, a reactionary response. Yeah, I think I think that's certainly true. And it's, it's incredibly sad and unfair. It's one of the things actually, the coming generation just do, do seem to not just support, but encourage each other to be expressive of themselves. And it's not just about their sexuality, but their creativity and everything else. But one of the statistics, and I'm probably misreporting it now, but for example, in the UK, I thought I saw something from, say, uh, 2010, 2020, whatever it was, it was a 10 year gap. And it went from, say, two and a half percent of, or 2% of 18 to 25 year olds expressed being members of the LGBT plus community. And that number nearly doubled, it was at 4.8% or whatever it was, self-reporting themselves as being some kind of a community. So that doesn't mean that the percentage suddenly is higher. It means those willing to report and identify themselves openly has doubled. And like that sort of encouragement to be yourself and express yourself. And it is maybe one of the things people find themselves freer on a year round basis to be more expressive about themselves. And so where we may have normally had a glut of hate-related incidents around pride because LGBT plus people were more visible around pride. They feel more comfortable now expressing themselves year-round. And so you have more frequent instances. Uh, that may be exactly be it. But I mean, we don't want to say to people again, don't wear that when you go out, don't do that, be careful, you know, because that's, that is regressive. And as Panty Bliss said before the campaign, that is oppressive. I shouldn't have to hide who I am because you can't handle it. Example of the bullies winning. Example of the bullies winning. One of you used the word allyship, and I see that the library have a collection of allyship um, books. Aoife, you're an ally. I think I that's, that would be... Absolutely. What does it mean for yourself and Sean, Amy, to have allies within the, the, the core of, 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 of the bar? Oh, I think it's so important. Uh, someone in HR once said to me when we were organizing one of these events, um, she said, it, it's a numbers game. <laughs> so allyship is actually as important, or if not more important, because if you can get allies on board, you're going to change a culture and an organization's culture much faster and much more efficiently. Um, to give you an example, I did a short but eventful stint in the ESB. Uh, My God, doing... where has this lady not been? <laughs> We were doing uh, a trial and it was kind of fairly busy. But the first day I came in, everyone had on their phone this uh, rainbow sticker. 
and it was on everyone's phone in, in the company or in the section I was in. And I just thought that's brilliant. Like I've just walked in the door and I automatically know I'm welcome. And every single one of these individual people who work here, not all of whom are going to be under the umbrella of the LGBTQ plus umbrella, um, they, they all support me. And I know that instantaneously. I know it in a, a jog second. And they were all given the sticker, but they all chose to put it on their phone. And I think that's a good example of allyship and an important one and an organizational one as well, that anyone who walked into that office knew they were supported. And you see that all over the place. You see, you know, people have lanyards with rainbows or people choose to, to kind of stand out. And they, they might have, you know, queer friends or gay sisters or, you know, maybe they're just, you know, welcoming nice people. Um, but they've made that decision. So I think allyship is, is critical. Absolutely. One of the things uh, that I've heard Alice have described as is the act of using your advantage for the betterment of those less advantaged. And it is as simple as that. If you're well-placed and you have a voice in an organization, to use it to improve the lot of the less fortunate, that's allyship. I mean, we talk about activism and everything else, but that's actually being an ally to those people of that community. Um, and we know it's active in Ireland because 62.7% of the electorate that voted in the gay marriage referendum are unlikely to exercise that particular right over the course of their lifetime, right? Because there aren't that many gays or they're hiding. Um, so, I mean, that was the best act of allyship that, that we've seen. And again, in the repeal the eighth referendum, again, men voted to repeal. You know, it wasn't. And again, they're unlikely to directly exercise the rights that were enshrined by that referendum. That's an act in allyship. And every time you step forward and you use your platform for the betterment of somebody else, that is allyship. And it has to occur within every community, and the bar is a community, even where, for example, <clears throat> we're trying to um, extend a welcome to perhaps members, prospective members. And we say, you're not yet a colleague, but we're trying to make that ground available to you. That's being an ally to prospective members and future unknown members. Um, and, and I think it's that, what we think of kind of altruistic activism um, is an act in allyship. I think also in a, in a time where everyone's so busy and the world is so complex, it's easy not to get involved. So which makes the act of allyship even more, I suppose, important. It's so easy and actually um, since COVID times, like people don't have the same capacity um, to do things that we had before COVID. Well, certainly that's how I feel. Um, and I think it is a general thing. Like COVID has, I suppose, um, done something to that capacity to just take on, you know, Other X people. number of things, yeah. you know. And so some people can like, they're, they're able to cope with their work, their family life, and there's not much space left after that. But I mean, like, as Amy said, there can be something really simple, actually. You know, allyship doesn't have to be, you know, getting involved in an organization actively, you know, meetings twice a week and so on and so forth. It can be something so small and like people do choose um, to, to be an ally in that way. And, and I think um, that's that's really crucial that even w when you're slammed time wise, there's always some way you can show um how how to be an ally but given given this is june the easiest way to show your allyship is to 
come out on the 25th of June. Oh my God, stand. is this a plug? No, I was going to say stand and wave flags. Or if you'd like, come along to the pre-pride brunch at DLA Piper. Boom. Hosted by Outlaw and then march with Outlaw in the parade. See, that's, that's, that's for that's yeah. for allies it's for yeah. members of the community or as I say just stand and wave a flag and hoot and holler as they say down in the southern states <laughs> well what a fan, what a fantastic way to, to to wrap it up with a plug thanks very much for, for for coming for the chat and this is again this is for me this is a progress of communications from, from one from zero to one to two and there's no cap to, to what can be achieved You've been listening to the Bar of Ireland's podcast episode for Pride 2022. We hope you enjoyed the discussion. For more information on the Bar of Ireland's initiatives, including the Equality Action Plan, please visit lawlibrary.ie. Thank you for listening.